Good morning. Can you please stand for the call to worship? Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by his grace you have been saved. it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not from yourselves it is a gift from god not by works so that no one can boast please pray with me dear god thank you for this gorgeous 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 day I heard someone leaving church saying, it's gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous. Thank you for all your blessings on us, and thank you that we can come together as a family to worship you together. I pray that you will calm our hearts and our minds, that we may know your peace and joy. Amen.
Amen. What a great joy to know that He is with us always, God our Savior. It's so great to see you as we gather for worship this morning. Take a moment, uh, share a word of peace, a word of greeting with others here in uh, worship today. Good morning. Hello. Is this on? Okay. <laughs> My name is Rose Jones, and I attend the Houghton Wesleyan Church. Last month, I went on a mission trip to the country of Cuba. It was one of the hardest and best weeks of my life. I went with a group called Wheels for the World, which is an outreach of the organization Johnny and Friends, which was founded by Christian quadriplegic Johnny Erickson Tata. A team of people from the United States worked with a team of Cuban pastors and also the Cuban National Disability Organization, and we distributed wheelchairs, and the pastors also distributed Bibles. My role on the trip was to be the team writer, which means that I got to interview Cuban families that came to get wheelchairs through a translator, and I also took a daily log of our statistics. I'd like to tell you the story of Jeffrey, who is the young man in the wheelchair in the picture. I first met Jeffrey at the welcome ceremony on Saturday that the Cubans held for the U.S. team. Jeffrey was wheeled into the room in an oversized wheelchair. His body was leaning back, so his brother helped him by placing a hand on Jeffrey's shoulder and pushing him into an upright position in the chair. A guitar was placed in Jeffrey's fragile hands, and he began to play and sing a beautiful love song that he had composed. His skeletal arms gently held the guitar, as he tenderly serenaded the audience. God's presence in the room was palpable. It was as if God said, This young man is precious in my sight. He is beautiful and treasured. On Monday, Jeffrey returned to be fitted for a new wheelchair. Jeffrey's mother, who's in the green shirt in the back, said, It's very hard to get a wheelchair in Cuba. I try to put on a strong face, but sometimes it is hard. And she cried. The Wheels for the World team skillfully selected an appropriately sized wheelchair and carefully customized foam cushions that would hold Jeffrey in a comfortable, upright position. The entire team, including Jeffrey and his mother, beamed with happiness when the wheelchair was complete. Thank you, thank you, the mother said, and hugged the team in grateful appreciation. Jeffrey's wheelchair was one of 220 wheelchairs that were distributed throughout the week, Every family that received a wheelchair also received a Bible, and they heard the gospel message presented by a Cuban pastor. One of the pastors said that he's had people knock on his door before and ask him, Are you a pastor? And he says, Yes. And they say, I want a Bible. And he doesn't always have Bibles to give to them because they're so scarce. Some of the people would kiss the Bible when they received it. Some would hold it to their hearts, and you could tell that they were very hungry for it. The pastor said, It is a time of hunger in Cuba. It is a time of harvest. The Wheels for the World team t-shirt says, It's not about the wheels. While our goal is to provide the gift of mobility, our most important goal is to share the saving message of Jesus Christ. 
In closing, I'd like to say thank you to the church. In mission trips, they are goers and senders, and both are equally important and blessed by God. I'd like to thank the church for pouring into me before I went on this trip, for praying for me, for encouraging me, supporting me financially, and welcoming me home. I could not have done this without you. I talk about my trip to Cuba, but really this was our trip to Cuba because as the body of Christ together, we ministered to the Cuban people. Thank you. Thank you, Rose. We appreciate uh, sharing a little bit about your trip. I'm sure that there's a whole lot more she could share, and I'm sure she would love to do that with you uh, in a variety of venues, uh, just a conversation, see what God's doing in the church in Cuba. There are um, some inserts in your bulletin. One of them is about the food drive. Next Sunday, we'll be collecting food, as we've been doing for a number of years on the Sunday before Thanksgiving. We've been helping a lot of people through the food pantry, and a lot more people uh, need help. So anything you can bring next week would be wonderful. We'll stack it up here, and then we'll get it to the food pantry after the services are done. This is also the uh, last day to bring your boxes for Operation Christmas Child. So if you have a shoebox that you are wanting to contribute, uh, today's the day to do that. You can drop them off anytime throughout the day, and then this week they will be taken to the distribution center. Uh, Also, Wednesday evening, our boys club is uh, having a testimony night. They have been working on writing up some testimonies of what they have seen God do in their lives and what they've seen God do in other lives. And it's exciting to, to think that our third, fourth, fifth, sixth grade boys are thinking about those things and wanting to tell people about them. And they're inviting us as the rest of the church to come and be a part of that gathering and uh, be in the community room at 6.30 on Wednesday night. And Thursday night, as you see, uh, our organist Judy Congdon is uh, doing a recital here. Uh, at the church, and uh, this will be uh, a very devotionally-minded recital as she uh, just expresses her heart to God through music and the privilege of being here in Houghton for 25 years. She serves as our church organist for the last few, and we're excited about that, and so we invite you to be a part of this gathering on Thursday evening uh, here at the church. This is also the last week of our prayer vigil event. We've had completed two weeks, have one more to go. And we've been hearing some great reports from people about what God has been doing as people have come to pray, as individuals, as groups. Uh, I think every one of the uh, dorms has had a a night where they came for an hour or more, uh, those who wanted to, to come and pray. And they've had some great things happen and others. And we've had some gaps in the times, and that's okay because it's not about perfection. It's about just giving ourselves to prayer. But I think it would be awesome if this week we could fill up this last hour. This last week, uh, we could fill up all this last week and all the hours filled in, and especially those late night hours, uh, one, two, or three in the morning. Uh, some of you have taken those. I appreciate that. Uh, but uh, what a great way to finish strong as we move through this week. And you can sign up uh, right after church in the back foyer or anytime online or call the church office and uh, see what God wants to do through us as we pray together.
Our Old Testament reading is from Proverbs chapter 15, verses 1 through 4. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise adorns knowledge, but the mouth of the fool gushes folly. The eyes of the Lord are everywhere, keeping watch on the wicked and the good. The soothing tongue is the tree of life, but a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Please stand and stand. Please stand and sing the doxology as the ushers come forward for our tithes and offering. Father, thank you for all the many blessings in our lives, and please take our offerings, just a little bit, that we give back to you, and bless it. Amen.
Jesus, who is the joy of all the desires of our hearts, invites us to come to him in prayer with our words of praise, words of intercession, our petitions. If you'd like to offer your prayers here at the altar rail, then please come and join me as we pray together. Holy Father, thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ. Joy of every desiring in our hearts. A deepest longing in every one of our beings. We come today to offer you our praise and our adoration and our worship. Father, we come today also to ask for your grace in our lives and and those close to us. We pray for all who are grieving today. Minister your comforting peace to every grieving heart. We pray for all who are wrestling with health concerns and we think uh, especially of Calvin and Laurel Bucher and Warren Woolsey and Bill Getty and Phil Mucher. Ted Hopkins, Evelyn Heil, Alice Brown, Mike Raybuck, Jill Tyson, Bruce Brenneman, Bev Rett, Micah Christensen, Linda Roth, Dick Gould, Crystal Blake, Emily Cricklar, and others who may be on our hearts and our minds today. Bring your healing grace to each of them. Father, we pray not only for ourselves, but also for the needs of the world. We feel such grief and pain and, quite frankly, probably some anger about the events in Paris over the last few days. We cry out with the prophets, how long, O Lord? We ask that you will bring an end to the evil of terrorism and violence and war. Give the leaders of the nations of the world wisdom in the best way to respond and not in a spirit of vengeance, but in a spirit of protection, a spirit of justice that might resemble your heart. We pray for our brothers and sisters, especially in the Middle East, and many of whom have uh, fled and are refugees and ask that you would you would comfort them, that you would help them, that you would bring to them to perhaps to a new homeland and to be able to resettle. Give us grace as a church and wisdom to know how we might assist, be a part of that process. Bring grace to bear in their lives and may they know your presence with them. And we think of, of the people of Cuba. We are glad to hear good reports that that there is an openness to the gospel. We pray that this will continue, that lives will be changed, and we pray for those who are in the kind have the kind of needs that uh, where wheelchairs and 
and other things are necessary, we pray that you would bring your peace to them and your healing grace to them and their families. May the church be a presence of compassion. We pray for the thieves in Haiti as they are in the process of an adoption and as they're dealing with the unrest in this nation of people you dearly love. We pray that you would pour out your spirit on their ministry and upon the nation of Haiti we would continue to see amazing things happen there. Lord, as we, as we move back closer to home and we think about the ministries of this church, we pray today for the Sunday school ministry of our church. Today, most of the Sunday school classes have already met, and we pray that good will continue to come from those. There are some classes still meeting now, and we pray your anointing upon them. Throughout this year, bless every teacher and helper and every person in the class, whether they are young or old, may they have a sense of your goodness and your grace and mercy upon them. Let them learn of you and in that learning, embrace you. Lord, we pray for the Fillmore Wesleyan Church. Thank you for the ministry of this church and how we watch, especially over the last few years and see some good things happen. And just recently, as they've had outreach events and have seen positive results of that, and we give you glory for that, and we thank you. We pray that you will continue to bless their ministry, bless Pastor Bill and all who are working with him. May they sense your anointing upon them. May they celebrate your goodness in all the ministries of the church and the outreach of the church and just the presence of the church and the Fillmore and surrounding communities. Father, as we enter this last week of our prayer vigil, continue to work. Continue to help us. Do more than we could dream or imagine. Use this week to inspire us about the deeper things of your spirit and through our prayers transform us and this place, our towns, our world. Father, thank you for hearing our prayers today. We pray all of this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the one who leaves us the model for prayer, which we now pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever.
Following the New Testament reading, children will be dismissed for Children's Church. Our New Testament reading comes from Acts chapter 25, verses 23 through 26, verse 3, and chapter 26, verses 24 through 32. The next day, Agrippa and Bernice came to the great, great came with great pomp and entered the audience room with the high-ranking military officers and the prominent men of the city. In the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. Festus said, King Agrippa and all who are present with us, you see this man. The whole Jewish committee community has petitioned me about him in Jerusalem and here in Caesarea, shouting that he ought not to live any longer. I found he has done nothing deserving of death, but because he made his appeal to the emperor, I decided to send him to Rome. But I have nothing definite to write to his majesty about him. Therefore, I have brought him before all of you, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that as a result of this investigation, I may have something to write. For I think it is unreasonable to send a prisoner on to Rome without specifying the charges against him. Then Agrippa said to Paul, You have permission to speak for yourself. Paul motioned with his hand and began his defense. King Agrippa, I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today as I make my defense against all the accusations of the Jews, and especially so because you are well acquainted with all the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. At this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defense. You are out of your mind, Paul, he shouted. Your great learning is driving you insane. I am not insane, most excellent Festus, Paul replied. What I am saying is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with these things, and I can speak freely to him. I am convinced that none of this has escaped his notice, because it was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Then Agrippa said to Paul, Do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Paul replied, Short time or long, I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am, except for these chains. The king rose, and with him the governor and Bernice and those sitting with him. After they left the room, they began saying to one another, This man is not doing anything that deserves death or imprisonment. Agrippa said to Festus, This man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. This is the word of the Lord.
Please be seated. When you're passionate about something, you want people to know about it. Whatever it is you're passionate about, you want people to be passionate with you. And when we're passionate about things, we get excited and and we want to talk about it. And and we want people to be on board with us. We want people to think the way we think, to experience what we've experienced because we're we're passionate about it. And it is no less true, in fact, it may well be more true, when we start talking about our religious convictions, about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And hopefully, we're passionate about being followers of Jesus. Hopefully, we don't follow Jesus apathetically. I mean, to be a Christian is to engage ourselves fully in Jesus. And that is a good thing to do. It's the calling of Christ. It is, it is many ways what it means to be the church. But what happens when people aren't as excited and passionate about Jesus as we are? Or what if people are actually antagonistic toward us about our passion for Jesus? How do we respond to that? I think our natural human response is to become more passionate, more aggressive, more in your face, more will let me tell you. And the question that's been rolling around in my mind this week is, is that the right thing for us to do? Is that the right way to respond? And what's been nagging at me is this passage in Acts 24, 25, 26, as well as actually a number of other places in the book of Acts and other parts of the scriptures. But in this particular case, Paul's response to being falsely accused, brought up before Roman, pagan, idolatrous officials, and having to explain himself. And finding them opposed, apathetic, uninterested, and how he responds to that. I would think in this moment, when, when the Felix says to him, or Festus, I guess, says to him, I don't know about you, but I think of Festus, I always think of gun smoke, but that's a whole other thing. <laughs> Does that picture come to your mind when you think of that, that word? Just, let's just get that out there, the elephant in the room, right? Every time I read this passage, if you haven't seen gun smoke, then you ask somebody or watch it, go to Netflix and watch it. You understand what I'm saying? But, you know, here he says to him, he listens to Paul's defense, and we didn't get all of this. You know, we read a little bit of it, because if we read the whole thing, that's all we would do. Um, and... And so Paul gives his defense and he shares his testimony about being on the, on the road to Damascus and all the change in his life and everything God has done and, and about Jesus resurrected from the dead. And, and Festus says to him, Paul, you're out of your mind. One translation says, you're insane, Paul. And that would be the moment for me to want to say back to him, no, you're insane. You don't know what you're talking about. I have the truth on my side. I'm right. You're wrong. And I'll prove to you you're wrong. In fact, let me ask God to do something to show you how wrong you are. But instead, Paul is respectful. He's gentle. He's kind. 
You don't get any kind of that attitude from Paul. He makes his defense. He speaks the truth. He's passionate about Jesus and the truth of Christ. But he does it, he communicates in a way that, that isn't unlike Jesus. I guess that's what it comes down to, is that Paul communicates in a way that looks like Jesus. And maybe the church, when we talk about how does the church communicate Jesus, how does the church communicate about Christ, maybe the simplest answer is we communicate Christ to people like Christ communicates to people. Isn't it fascinating? I keep coming back to this. It's a powerful passage. It stirs me every time we read it from Philippians chapter 2. When Paul writes, have this mind in you that was in Christ Jesus. In other words, be like Jesus. Communicate to people the way Jesus communicated. And Jesus was God. And he ever had every right to claim, I'm right, I'm God. But instead he chose the path of humility and servanthood. And even death. There is something I see of that in Paul as he addresses these people. His every right to be more aggressive with them and more in their face, and he isn't. He refuses to do that. I think of what Paul writes to to the church at Corinth. And he says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to God's church just as I try to please everyone in everything I do. We can be so passionate about what we believe, we actually are offensive to people in the negative way. And surely he's thinking of what Jesus says, that on judgment day, everyone's going to be held responsible for every careless word. We tend to think that means bad words. What if it also means hurtful words? What if it means words that that make it more difficult for people to come to Jesus? What if it's words that put up roadblocks between people and Jesus? Walls instead of bridges. It's a struggle for all of us. It's not just people who are outside the church. We, we We struggle with this with each other too. When we have our difficulties with each other in the church. How do we respond in those moments? I, I keep coming back to a story I read about E. Stanley Jones. E. Stanley Jones was a, a missionary statesman in India for uh, probably four decades, maybe the 40s through the 70s. And uh, he was a, a great leader of the church, the Methodist church in India. He was well-known around the world, wrote many, many books, was friends of you know, people like uh, Gandhi and, and others and and he started the Christian ashram movement. Ashrams were something that the Hindus did. And he said, this is a good idea, but let's just make it Christian. And he started that in India and it spread around the world. And uh, there was a, a time in his life when he supported another man in his ministry. And then the time came where he could no longer do that. And this man was upset about it. And he publicly took E. Stanley Jones to task. And he spread rumors about him that were untrue. And E. Stanley Jones was upset about it, as you and I would be. 
And he did what you and I would probably do too. He sat down and he wrote a letter to this guy. And it's the kind of letter that as you get into it, it becomes more and more enjoyable to write. You know what I'm talking about? You know, it's just like, man, it is flowing now and I am cooking. You you know, the, the ink on the page is getting heavier and heavier as you write. And he penned this letter, vitriolic, and, you know, this is the truth and, and you know, all this stuff. There must have been something in his spirit that thought maybe that wasn't the best idea. But he wrestled with it. And so he sent it to some of the other leaders of the ashram movement and asked for their opinion. And they send it back, and at the top of the letter, they'd written three words. Not sufficiently redemptive. And, and he said, you know, God just spoke to me, and I knew they were right. I shredded the letter, threw it away, and I said, God, you're just going to have to take care of my reputation. I, I find that story interesting in our technological age. You know, there is something about, there's something valuable about sitting down to write a letter like we used to do. You have to pull out a piece of paper. You have to get something to write with. Or maybe you type it up on a typewriter. It takes longer to write as you do it. When you get done, you have to fold it, find an envelope, put it in the envelope, seal it, put the return address on, put the... Well, maybe a lot of people don't put the return address on. You, and you, you, you address it, you put a stamp on it, then you have to get to the post office. And in all of that time that it takes to do that... We have a little bit of space to hear God's still small voice saying, you really want to do that? Don't you think there's a better way than that? And we miss out on that sometimes now when all you have to do is click new email. You don't even usually have to type in the whole address. It fills it in for you, their email address, and you just start writing and you click send. And in a millisecond, what you may wish you hadn't done is done. We ought to step back, think a little bit, ponder a little bit. It's one of the reasons why prayer is so important to this process of being the church, and particularly about communication, because in prayer we give God some space and some time to get through to us, to help us stop, think, ponder, to be convicted. And we all need that. We all need time in prayer to step back and let God convict us and to pour out our heart to God and to be honest about our struggle and, and, our, and our passion and, and how frustrated we are and upset we are and hurt we are. And in that moment, those moments of prayer, which often takes a while, which maybe is one reason why the hour is a good thing when we set up the prayer vigil. Sometimes it takes a while for us to come to our senses in those moments, God has an opportunity to work in us and to stop us. And this is not about, about not standing up for the truth. It's how we stand up for the truth. It's how we communicate the truth. You know, and, and, and I know it's hard. In fact, one of my greatest fears today in talking about this is that I will come across as you know, I've got this solved as, I don't know, condescending, maybe a little arrogant. I've figured it out as I'm trying to convince us not to be condescending and arrogant in how we treat people. 
And it worries me, it scares me, because I, am, I struggle with this as much, if not more, as anybody else does. It's, it's, it's a struggle for all of us. And we've all been in positions where we wished we had said something different. And hopefully we've had some moments where we were glad for the Spirit to convict us. We stand up for the truth, but how do we do that? In 1 Peter chapter 3, he says, When people come to you and want to know about Jesus, be ready to give them a defense. But do it in a gentle and respectful way. Such a profound passage, especially from someone like Peter, who is you know, infamous for his impetuous behavior. He says, look, and maybe he says this because he's learned. I, I've, I, he learned, had to learn the hard way. Gentleness, respectfulness. I think the church communicates most effectively in a spirit of humility. That spirit of Jesus that says, I may be right, but I don't have all the answers. You know, when you get into a spirit of humility, when we commit ourselves to that, it's hard because that means humble people tend to get walked on. It's just, you know, it's the honest truth. Humble people tend to be taken advantage of. But in humility, we have the advantage of listening. And sometimes we just don't listen to people. And, and we miss out on things that they're dealing with and the situation and what's happening. All we're doing is being, we're just aggressive at people. And, and maybe if we listen to them, we have a better understanding of why they have done what they've done, said what they've said. Someone was telling me a few weeks ago about a situation uh, where they're, uh, an adult really hurt their child, said some hurtful things to their child. As you can well imagine, this parent was ready to go to war. You know, we're protecting our kids. We do that. That's what we do, right? It's instinct. And so they were gearing up and arranged the time to meet with this adult and said, you know, basically in their mind they're saying, look, you're going to hear what I have to say and we're going to, you're not going to treat my, my child like that. But they prayed about it first, which was a good thing. And the Lord spoke to them and convicted them and so by the time they got to this encounter, they had a little different perspective and they said, it was only the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit prompted me to just start listening and asking questions. And I discovered that this person was going through some deep levels of stress and hurt themselves and pain. And they had inadvertently taken it out on my child. And as we talked, you could sense their defenses falling down. And they apologized to me and they apologized to my child. And the end result was... I didn't say everything I wanted to say, but I got the result and even more than I was hoping to get. Isn't that what it's about? What I think is hard for us sometimes when we're so passionate about the truth and so passionate about, about what is right, sometimes I think we think that because we're right, we can say anything, do anything, act any way we want to because we are right. But that doesn't seem to be the spirit of Jesus. 
doesn't seem to be the spirit of Paul. Paul says twice in 23 and 24, he says, I have tried to do everything I can with a clear conscience. And by that, we tend to interpret that to mean I'm not, I'm not doing any blatant sin. And that's probably true. But it's in the context of being humble. And I think what, what Paul means, as well as his behavior in other settings, he's also in these moments trying to walk away from them with a clear conscience. Walking away saying, I responded to the best of my ability the way Jesus would. I've walked away with a sense of, I don't need to, I don't, I don't sense God's conviction on me because I didn't handle that correctly. And it's not that he always succeeds, but that's his goal. And Paul was right in this setting. I mean, in that room, he's the only person that was right in that room. And yet, his spirit, his attitude, his gentleness, respect, humility, kindness. Because acting right is an integral part of being right. Acting right is an integral part of being right. We think being right means I believe the right things, but being a Christian is more than just believing the right things. And that's where I get convicted. And that's where we struggle. Because a part of believing right means that we also want to act right. And we have a goal in mind, not that people will know we're right. Our goal is that people will interact with us and maybe walk away a little more interested in Jesus. With each other, we interact, and, and when we're done, we walk away and think, maybe people are, are a little more open to having Jesus continue to work in our lives as we want him to work in our lives. And our interactions with people don't discourage them, they encourage them. They don't lead people away from Jesus, but toward Jesus. And it may end up that no one even has a clue that we are right. But they do know that Jesus is right. And that Jesus is the answer to the struggles that they're facing, as he's the answer to the struggles we're facing. I do think it comes back to prayer. This is why we keep doing the prayer vigils and and why I'm encouraging us to finish strong this week. Fill up those hours. It's not just so we can say, hey, we filled up the hours. But it means that people are encountering God. People are stepping back and saying, I have enough space. There's enough space. There's enough time. There's room for God to speak into my life that often there isn't. And I'm setting aside that time, and it's important enough to me to let God speak into my life that I want to make that time, make that room. Asking God to help me communicate like Jesus. Someone wrote me this week and said, as I've been listening to these sermons and how it keeps coming back to prayer and thinking about the prayer vigil, it struck me that really what we're talking about is not, please God, answer my prayers. But it's really, 
acknowledging that prayer is the answer. And that it's in prayer that we encounter the reality of God. And in prayer, God can speak into our lives. And in prayer, we can have space for God to change us, to help us, and and to give us the grace that we all need to communicate like Jesus. I think one of the most fascinating things in this whole passage is right at the end, when Paul is talking to Agrippa and he says, you know, you know the, you believe the prophets, right? You know the prophets. And, and he says, he interrupts him. He says, Paul, are you trying to convince me in such a short time to be a Christian? And Paul, I can almost see Paul, a smile building on his face saying, short time, long time. I just want you to know what I know. I just want you to experience what I've experienced And then he adds that little line that we kind of think of a throwaway line, except for these chains. I think that's profound. Because if it were me, I think I'd want to say, hey, I'll tell you what, why don't we just trade places for a few minutes and let's see how you like that. Now let me talk to you about Jesus while you're chained to the wall. His goal, everything about his being and his communication is not to get back at these people who have hurt him. His goal is It's not that they would know he's right and we've come to see we're wrong. His goal is that they would know Jesus and experience the transforming power of Jesus. Not the chains, not the beatings, but Jesus. As I read that passage again, I said, Lord, help me to want that I mean, to so want to communicate like Christ that I want that for people too. That's my prayer for myself. That's my prayer for us. Gracious Father, let it be so. Let it be so. Give us hearts that are more interested in leading people to you, breaking down walls and barriers building bridges to you more importantly proving we're right looking good making life easy we ask this through Jesus Join me in a prayer of confession that's printed in your bulletin. Let's stand as we pray together and remain standing for the hymn. Heavenly Father, we confess that we are enamored with ourselves. We fight for rights that are primarily for us rather than others. We work diligently to gain more and more for ourselves. When we see so many who have so little, we are typically far more interested in being served than in serving. Forgive us for the self-centered spirit that drives us. Open our hearts to Christ that we might be more interested in giving than receiving, more interested in submitting than controlling. 
Through Christ's mercy, we claim the pardon you offer us, that when we confess our sins, that you are faithful to forgive us our sins. Amen. the benediction. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen. Amen.